Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz. And I'm Evan Gottesman. We have a couple of very uh, interesting topics to address today, a lot of things going on in the news surrounding Israel, and we're lucky to be joined today by Allison Kaplan Summer. Uh, Allison Kaplan Summer is a columnist for Haaretz and a co-host of the Promise podcast on Tel Aviv One Radio, of which I'm a big fan. Uh, she was formerly the Washington, D.C. correspondent, feature writer, and critic for the Jerusalem Post, and has also written for a number of U.S. publications, including The New Republic, Politico, The Forward, and JTA. Allison was the fall 2017 Arnold Distinguished Visiting Chair in Jewish Studies at the College of Charleston, and won the 2016 B'nai B'rith World Center Award for Journalism, Recognizing Excellence in Diaspora Reportage. Allison, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So... The past 24 hours, everybody in Israel has been talking about uh, the nation-state uh, law, which passed, I think it was early morning in Israel, and it was like late evening in the United States because of the uh, opposition filibusters that went on for ages. Um, they kept on changing the name of the bill, yeah. attempting to. And it ended up passing 62 votes in favor, 55 against, with... Uh, mm-hmm. With uh, two abstentions, pretty notable abstentions, because one was Orly Levia Bekasis, who's an independent, but she's in the midst of, she's started forming her own party, which has been polling pretty well in, in polls. And Benny Begin, who's obviously the son of former Prime Minister Menachem Begin, who this will probably be his last term as a Knesset member, but it's still, uh, it's still notable. Um, so I think many analysts have called this. Uh, a political move as it seems like we're heading into inevitable elections. Because when you look at the substance of the bill, I mean, most of the things have been established facts since like May 14th, 1948, Uh, except for a few things. And those things are particularly important. The first is obviously Arabic being demoted to a special status. Um, And the second is the encouragement of Jewish settlement, which beforehand was, uh, that's kind of a watered-down version of the original, uh, the original text, which was uh, the establishment of Jewish-only settlement. So, so what do you really make of this? Is it a big deal? Is this a big change in Israel's history, or is it just something that kind of will be will be forgotten? No, I think it's a big deal. Um, I think it the timing of it, it has a lot to do with. The uh, immediate politics. I think that um, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is, is seeing uh, the passage of this bill as a big accomplishment that he can point to when he's trying to rally the right wing camp around him and uh, pull it away from rivals like uh, Education Minister Naftali Bennett. But uh, even though, you know, the reason that it finally got through, this bill has been knocking around since 2011 when it was first proposed by uh, Avi Dichter, who was then a uh, member of the party Kadima, and uh, he's since moved back home to uh, to the Likud party. Um, so it's, you know, it's been around, it's been in a lot of versions, and um, it, its passage is part of a larger struggle. You have to see it in the context of the, the constant tension uh, between is Israel a Jewish state or is Israel more of a democratic state? And um, uh, since the 80s and 90s, when there's been the passage of what the Supreme Court is calling basic laws, which has like constitutional status in the lack of a real constitution, um, most of the basic 
laws have uh, strengthened the idea of Israel as a democracy, you know, with equal rights for all. And on the basis of many of these basic laws, the high courts have made decisions that uh, frustrate a lot of the people on the right, you know, holding them back in terms of uh, in terms of some of the moves that they would like to make that would favor the Jewish population over the other population. So, you know, in the big picture, the passage of this law is trying to put its finger on the scales. I mean, we would say completely, uh, we, you know, more people who are on the left like me, thinks it's, uh, you know, it's a terrible discriminatory uh, act that will um, put the balance uh, out of whack in terms of overly uh, favoring to a discriminatory level Jewish interests over the interests of other citizens in the country. And uh, people on the right see more as, it, you know, evening out that they think the Supreme Court has been too far to the left and too far in the favor of Israel as a democratic state. And they want to make it a more of a basic, uh, understood, declared fact that Israel is a Jewish state. So talking about the balance between Israel as a democratic state and Israel as a Jewish state, um, the law, one of the first clauses deals with Israel as the um, sole title of the Jewish people and the Jewish people only having the right to self-determination there. Um does this fit into sort of the territorialist agenda of the right, like annexation of the West Bank and, um, you know, uh, more and uh, an approach that's more inimical to a two state solution? Um, there's also a mention of the uh, of Jerusalem as the specifically the unified capital of Israel, um, not just as the capital of Israel. Um, so outside of the domestic politics, um, where does this fit into the approach to the Palestinians? I mean, none of it is, you know, says explicitly we have to do X, Y, or Z, but it definitely lays down the legal groundwork for, you know, in a theoretical world, if there was some sort of negotiation that would um, uh, give up any part of Jerusalem, the, you know, right-wing camp could challenge it in court and point to this basic law and say, well, you know, it says in the basic law, which is essentially our country's constitution, that you can't do that, and to try to, you know, pressure a court to rule uh, in its favor in, in a case like that, um, or in a in a, the case of a challenge of um, uh uh, Arab uh, Palestinian family that wants to move into a Jewish uh, settlement or a Jewish town and is challenging that, you know, again, laying the legal groundwork uh, for kind of an argument. Um, and, you know, who knows uh, how it could uh, how it could play out in the long term. So, you know, it's it's none of it is uh, is explicitly saying that this is going to be legal or that's going to be more legal, but it's definitely, um, uh, you know, kind of a roadmap or, you know, some uh, like a legal foundation, a legal basis for potential uh, future disputes, trying to strengthen the right's hand in, uh, in arguments like that. There's also the recent law that was passed about uh, making the Supreme Court no longer the court of first instance for Palestinians in the occupied territory. And that kind of went under the radar uh, earlier this week, but it's something that has a lot of uh, implications, especially with uh, if people are familiar with the building in Area C and the the lack of permits, um, I mean, it's very, or they're following what happened uh, near the area of uh, Malay Adumim in Khan El-Amar, where, uh, where a Bedouin village was uh, forcefully uh, evicted uh, a few weeks ago. So it really has uh, serious implications. 
Right. I mean, it's something that I think Americans can really relate to, you know, of, of this moment. It's very different issues and we've got very different government structures, but we've got a similar dynamic when you see, you know, the Trump administration trying to do certain things that uh, people are challenging as being racist, discriminatory against uh, principles and taking it to the judiciary to try to uh, make it not happen. This is also what happens in Israel. And as is the case in both countries, um, the the parties on the right are doing all they can to uh, to strengthen the the in our case, the legislature and uh, in the U- case of the U.S., uh, the White House and the executive branch and uh, and weaken or lessen the influence of the courts. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned Avi Dichter. Now, this is the last question I think we have on this issue, but he after the uh, or when he was announced speaking about the uh, the actual bill itself, the law, he said that we're. I mean, I'm translating this from Hebrew. Um, we're passing this important basic law uh, so that we prevent, like, by any like reason of thought, uh, to prevent. Uh, any attempt for Israel becoming a state for all its citizens. Now, in in the Declaration of Independence, it says that Israel should give equal rights to all its citizens. So is this kind of, and this was translated a lot, I think, in, in English media, maybe mistranslated. Did he mean Israel will never become a binational state? Or is he talking about, like, that this is seriously going to stop equality and stop democracy much about uh, you know uh, uh, principles or you know nature um, etc but there definitely is a, a voice on the left the far left that uh, that says you know we believe that uh, Israel should be a, a, a country of all its citizens and it shouldn't be have a definition as a as a Jewish state you know there's a there's a post Zionist voice now it's to the very far left and it's a minority but you know it uh, it connects to many Many of the feelings um, of the of the Palestinian population, and uh, it's uh, you know obviously a popular idea in, in many circles uh, abroad. And uh, people talk about uh, you know uh, Israel in order to be a true democracy um, can't give preferential treatment to uh, to Jewish uh, institutions or Jewish culture, uh, etc. And um, yeah, so it's trying to to head this off at the past to even think about it. You know, should be uh, be impossible. And so some of what is understood of Israel to be in its declaration of independence. They're saying, no, that's not good enough. You can't just declare it. You have to legislate it. And uh, if you legislate it, you know, that's a bulwark against uh, ever being able to undo it. That post-Zionist worldview that you mentioned is certainly growing in some circles here in the United States. Um, And in particular among, I think, uh, younger people. Um, And it's manifested recently um, and some headlines around this uh, birthright issue um, that, uh, you know, a lot of these American Jewish institutions and uh, longstanding practices like the birthright trip, the free trip to Israel um, are now being protested by some organizations, like if not now, uh, one of these uh, far left organizations, um, which has now staged two uh, walk offs on uh, recent birthright trips in Israel. 
Um, now, you had written a uh, piece in Haaretz, uh, Principled Activists or Entitled Brats, What's Wrong with the Birthright Walkouts? So could you um, summarize or explain what your take is on this, this issue? Um, well, I mean, you know, the facts of this issue are, as you said, that uh, two groups now of participants in the birthright Israel trip, which is, has existed since 1999 and uh, provides a free 10-day trip to Israel for uh, for young adults um, beginning at age 18. I think it's till age, what, 26? I think and, it may have been um, recently, yeah. I think now it's 30s, early 30s even. I think they changed it recently. Yeah, I, I think there's a different set of trips, though. I think, like, you know, there's the there's the older young adults trips, or I don't know when you stop being a young adult, right? Um, but anyway, but these trips are, like, you know, they're heavily college students, and uh, they're young, young adults um, on the trip. And, uh, you know, it was conceived um, in uh, 1999 by people who were essentially, you know, center-left type people, Yossi Balin and um, uh, the funders, Charles Rompfman and Michael Steinhardt. And, you know, they envisioned and, uh, you know, this is back in the days, and I wrote about it this in my piece, when uh, it wasn't so easy, you know, to get together that $3,000, $4,000 that you would need in order to uh, to make it to Israel. And, you know, most of us, I'll include myself in that uh, ancient generation, you know, we had to do a semester in Israel, and it was a big financial sacrifice. And there was a feeling that... Um, uh, young American Jews were were disconnecting with their Jewish identity, with their heritage, and uh, they were hoping that a 10-day trip to Israel would be some sort of helpful magic pill, especially if you are, you know, spending 10 days intensively with other young Jews. Many people are in environments where they're not with so many young Jews. So they're like, well, they'll go to Masada, and they'll go to the Western Wall, and they'll go on the beach in Tel Aviv, and they'll have this great, amazing, positive Jewish experience in Israel, and it's really the goal was to reinforce their identities as American Jews. It did not have a political pro-Israel agenda at all at the at the very beginning. Now, that kind of changed um, er, around the mid-2000s, beginning in about 2007. Um, uh, Sheldon Adelson discovered that birthright was a success, and he, he bets on successes, right, because he's a casino billionaire, and the millions of dollars, and he became overwhelmingly the um the biggest funder of birthright and then birthright started to be seen and you know it, it the their mega events the big events when they came together it started to take on much more of a rah-rah pro-israel um uh nature I have never been on a birthright Israel trip, so I can't speak to, you know, exactly what happens, you know, inside the bus and who the tour guides are. They There's a whole bunch of different vendors and you get a whole bunch of different tour guides. So, you know, it's not a cookie cutter type of thing. But um, but these, uh, you know, increasingly active groups on the left, there's on the far uh, non-Zionist uh, group, the Jewish Voice for Peace, have a campaign going called Return the Birthright. They say, you know, young Jews should not go at all because um, how could they go and uh, and have a birthright to go to Israel when Palestinians aren't even allowed to visit and live there? But this group, uh, if not now, which kind of has undefined goals, I mean, it, it wants to awaken, right, the Jewish establishment. I think their stated goal is to end the American Jewish community's support for the occupation, but a lot of their principles are very vague. They don't they don't right. specify what occupation they're talking about. They don't take a stance on 
Zionism. So. I mean, that, that's one of their central tenets. I mean, agree or disagree with it. I personally think it, it's a mistake on their part, but they they pride themselves in being this big tent that they say we have left okay. Zionists, we have anti-Zionists. Um, so, uh, so they are, did not, you know, take the view of the Jewish voice for peace, return their birthright, reject the birthright. They say that they want to, um, uh, uh, draw attention to the fact that it's by definition political, because when you bring young people to Israel and you show them only Israel and you don't have Palestinian voices and you don't tell them enough of the Palestinian narrative. I mean, this is their claim that it's a very one sided agenda and, uh, and a one sided trip. Um, so they have um, created these incidents. You know, it's a, you can question. The, I, I mean, this is what I found disingenuous. And I wrote it's just disingenuous that this was like sort of a spontaneous thing that in the middle of a trip, they suddenly realized that they weren't getting a balanced view. So they felt that they all of a sudden spontaneously in the middle of the trip must walk off the bus and go on a breaking the silence tour in Hebron or go visit a displaced Palestinian family in East Jerusalem. And so they left the trip uh, in the middle. They Facebook Live their departure. They said, you know, we got to get out of here um, because this trip is not giving us a balanced view. We have to protest the fact that you are um, you're stifling um, Palestinian voices. You're not allowing us to uh, to do these visits in the context of the 10 day trip. And therefore, we must walk off. And um, and, you know, a group of them got off, left Facebook living all the time and then would continue on to the Breaking the Silence tour of Hebron or to um, or to East Jerusalem and uh, and show their experiences on on Facebook live uh, live there and the the hashtag for this campaign is what it's not just a free trip is that that's right yeah yeah it's um it's not just a not just a, a free trip and so um you know it's it was a high visibility disruptive uh uh type of um type of act uh which um you know they have the right to do it i think that I'm not sure how it works exactly legally, but I think they sign a contract right before their trip that says if they do this, if you leave the trip for any reason, like even if you decided to leave the trip for the opposite political reasons, like you were mad that the uh, birthright trips don't visit the settlements or if you just wanted to, you know, run off and go to the beach in a lot. If you if you don't go on the complete trip, they don't pay for the complete trip. So I think their return tickets were canceled and I think they may be liable for the cost of the trip, et cetera. And I think. They've you put been, you put uh, down you put down a security deposit. So there is so there's that and um uh yeah so I guess you know I wrote that from my uh, from my elderly perspective of someone who didn't have the opportunity to go on a birthright trip that you know with so many opportunities to um to extend your trip to go on an extension trip that a lot of uh, um pro Palestinian organizations run to stay by yourself uh you know on your own initiative and volunteer and get involved and take so much action to me it just felt like really artificial oh the only way we could get both sides of the story is if we do this uh, if we leave the trip but you know i understand it was a it was a stunt it was a, it was a message uh, trying to just to, to I guess you know because again they didn't make their goal really explicit pressure birthright I suppose to uh, to tell a more balanced story and to uh, and to change the itinerary of its trip and you're not going to get uh, 
the media headlines if you just pr- do a very thoughtful uh, itinerary for a post-birthright trip, you'll get the, the headlines by doing the Facebook Live and by being disruptive, and that's, I think that's their, uh, that's their approach. And yeah. you raise... I was talking to a much younger friend about it, right, who's uh, still, uh, you know, in her in her early 20s. And I was saying, but, you know, there's all these much more effective ways of sending your message against the occupation and how to how you could really affect the diaspora organizations. I was like arguing it on an effectiveness basis. And she just looked at me and she's like, this is not what this is about. She's like, this is about, you know, sort of them getting to go back to their their campuses, you know, where maybe there's a lot of political stuff going on and saying like, you know, look what I did, you know, look how I stood up against the occupation. And it seemed to be like a lot more about them than about the the Palestinians or about the conflict. It's it's a little voyeuristic. And and there, you know, there's an interesting thing now that um, because their security deposits were canceled and their, their return flights were canceled because those are arranged through birthright, um, that there's a GoFundMe and they've actually taken some flack from the further left and from the, the real Palestinian solidarity movement, like, you know, indigenous to the Palestinian territories, like saying, like, you know, you could raise money to pay for these people's return flights or you could give money to the Palestinian solidarity organizations or... Um, something else. But I think you raised an interesting point, Allison, about the redundancy, because you mentioned like the other, um, there's like the extend program. Um, and you also mentioned that there are, that there are multiple birthright vendors and, and something that I, I feel like hasn't come out in all of this is that, um, there actually are a few left of center organizations that run their own birthright trips. And it's probably, it's not the ones that are being walked out on and they're not the, the mainstay. I don't know how many they run every year, but, uh, Hashem Merhat Zahir and uh, Habonim Jor, the socialist Zionist uh, groups, run their own trips. And they actually, Hashem put out a statement um, after the walk-offs, kind of reaffirming that the core of their uh, Israel education is uh, like being pro-peace and being opposed to the occupation. Um, so I, I, w- I wonder if that's something that even registers um, in the, the, if not now, radar that there are multiple vendors, and I want, I'm, I'm curious, you know, which vendors' trips are they are they walking out on? Because they're ones that are probably more religious, more. Well, I said the first the, the first one I believe was a Mayanot trip, which is uh, affiliated with uh, with Chabad. And again, I don't know how it works, but there could you know there are problematic elements there. You know, when you've got some of your vendors have this other um, you know other agendas and uh, and issues uh, issues like that that are there are these organizations, and that someone who's not a sophisticated consumer just you know signs up for the trip that their uh, local Hillel is going on or that some friend they know is going on and they end up on a trip that's uh, that's run by Chabad or Aish or, or, or something like that. So, um, you know, uh, there's there's that uh, there's that issue. Sure. And, th- and there, there are also negative ways that and you I think you raised uh, yourself that like, you know, people could also walk off the trip for right wing uh, reasons and there, there are negative ways that uh, participants could interact with Israel from a right-wing angle after the trip. And there was a whole scandal in the last year about the, the Heritage House in Jerusalem, this like far-right right. institution that birthright participants were... It, birthright wasn't related to at all, they had no affiliation with, but uh, after the trip was finished, birthright students would extend and they would get to stay in this place for free. 
my colleague Judy Maltz wrote that story, and I believe that you know the vendor of one of the chips was kind of uh, uh, pushing it a little bit and like offering it as an option to the kids on his trip to uh, to go stay there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, what we didn't talk about yet was so after these participants left, they obviously they forfeited uh, their flights back and uh, etc. And so they st- started a GoFundMe page to. Uh, to pay for for their flights and to I think some of the money uh, is intended to go uh, potentially to uh, communities in East in East Jerusalem, Palestinian communities, and they've already raised uh, almost eleven thousand dollars in two days. Um, how do you think uh, Birthright should deal with this? Like, it seems like it's a ver- should there be uh, like I don't want to say like a po- political like screening but i guess that would be easy it would obviously be easy to fake to fake answers there um because it's tricky i mean i think this uh the buzz that this has caused has only kind of probably fueled uh the fire for for if not now and their uh their supporters um yeah which you know isn't you know that's the goal um, you know, the goal is to sort of, you know, give the the uh, organization profile and I guess, you know, presumably change the situation um, uh, through the publicity. I don't know. I was, uh, you know, on my podcast, The Promise Podcast, we were uh, we were talking about it and um, uh, and um, my co-host Noah said that he thought the smartest thing uh, Birthright could do would be to, you know, not take away their money, you know, let them pay for the chip, say, we're so glad, you know, you're going to Israel and you're seeing all these perspectives and, you know, here's a sandwich for your trip to Hebron, like kill them with kindness, sort of like not give them something to uh, to push back against too hard. But I think that's kind of an unrealistic uh, um, uh, suggestion with uh, with Sheldon Adelson at the helm. And I think that's, you know, that's the problem in the in the birthright um, uh, response there. I think they're probably I can only theorize in some sort of a golden handcuff situation in that they're they're really just flooded with money that are is coming from this you know extremely uh right-wing extremely ideological person uh sheldon adelson they probably don't have a lot of uh flexibility and a lot of wiggle room in their uh in their response you know i don't think they can be appear in any way sympathetic to these uh to these people so probably um they're they're doing what one would one would uh imagine is the best recourse for them which is to stay silent and you know it just it doesn't apply a lot of transparency uh at all but um but again i don't think that they can um they could do a lot of outreach towards uh, towards left wing activism, considering who's who's paying most of their bills at the moment, and um, uh, you know, and they certainly don't want to, uh, to don't want to fulfill the the stereotypes that the if not now activist has by you know by being very uh, being very vocally denouncing them. So we'll see. Given what you've laid out and the limitations that are existing from the birthright angle, putting the ball in the student's court, um, right. if you were a Jewish student, you, you were on one of these trips, you, you're not satisfied with your Israel education or, or what you've heard, you feel you're not getting the full story, what would you recommend to people? Because I, I think that there are, um, and I think we've, we've laid out that there are legitimate problems and, and people don't always 
hear the full story about um, about Israel. So what would you recommend uh, someone do to get a more nuanced uh, yeah. take on, on the situation? I would, I would add to that that we also, we saw, if not now, meeting groups at JFK and handing them brochures about the occupation. Um, how does that fit in to Evan's question? See, I think all of that other stuff is great. I'm, you know, I'm for trying to make sure that the participants go into it educated, eyes open, you know, uh, looking at the the entire picture of what they're going to see and, you know, uh, not just seeing it, you know, through this, uh, you know, through the bus window of what they're uh, they're being told to see. So I think any kind of informational campaign to uh, to open the minds of birth writers and make sure that they get more of a sophisticated and nuanced uh, view is great. I think that um, these follow-up trips, you know, are very clever. Take advantage of the fact that you, they people have this, you know, free trip and free ticket to Israel. And, you know, frankly, if I was investing money in something, I, you know, it would be better to crowdfund to pay for uh, uh, an extension trip for, you know, every birth writer who wants one in terms of, you know, getting to see what the situation in the, the West Bank and the, and the territories would be. And, uh, you know, the use of uh, social media and Facebook live and video is very clever. And, you know, I like I said, I don't know what hap- what they're telling them on these tours, but you know, record what your tour guide's saying. If you're trying to have an, a you know a fuller discussion of what you're seeing on your birthright trip, and your tour guide is not giving you satisfactory answers, record that and you know put that up. To, to me, I think that would be you know much more interesting than just uh, you know a kid giving a speech and marching off the bus. If you've got a problem with what's happening on the birthright trip, show that to the world. You know, I, I have. To- though again you know this is my pers- my historical perspective as being someone who didn't have a birthright in that um uh, i really do see the trips as a gift and you know the and and, and i i suppose again that ages me and the kids uh you know who who can't remember a world without a birthright and it is being a bit taken for granted that they get this trip to free trip to israel it is you know if you just step back and look at it a pretty a pretty amazing thing i think it's also and even as someone who who went on the birthright trip i think it's tough to comment broadly from either perspective from the if not now perspective or or from a perspective that's more amenable to birthright because um, there are so many vendors and also it just depends on, on the staff, like different, you know, you have different quality of staff on different trips and right. people handle things differently. And you saw in the two videos, I think in the second, uh, birthright walk off the, the staff handled it much more professionally than in the first and, and they were much more prepared. And, and that could have been because they were prepped for that specific situation or they just right. had a better staff and that could have been a better trip than the other one. So it, it's tough to, yeah. to speak generally about it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people should, uh, you know, choose their choose their trip and their uh, and their vendor with care. That's uh, you know, that's uh, that's really important. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, and it's definitely a special it's a special opportunity for for a lot of uh, Jews and even people who aren't considered Jews by the state of Israel are eligible to go on the trip. And uh, first off, from working at Israel Policy Forum, uh, Charles Bronfman is our advisory council chair and he is a definite two-stater and he is a definite uh center-left guy who wants to see a a two-state solution and he's poured uh so much of his uh his money into this and it's it it hurts to see uh this is how uh 
people are kind of taking advantage of of something yeah. that came out of really good uh, intentions. I mean, again, I don't know what how much flexibility the organization has, but you know, a little transparency would go a long way. And so, you know, it would be really interesting to hear some more sort of open public discussion. You know, this is what the basic. Um, elements of a birthright trip are, you know, this is what we tell our vendors they have to go to and see, and this is why we include this and and why not, you know, maybe a much more open conversation about it. And, um, you know, the controversy that they had a while back about um, including uh, encounters, quote unquote, that's what they call them, encounters with um, uh, Palestinian Israelis, um, there was a story that uh, that they there was an experiment um, of uh, of having them and then they were removed. So you know the idea that um, uh, you you're bringing um, young American Jews to experience ten days in Israel and not facilitate any kind of contact or conversation with the non-Jewish residents of Israel. I mean, I I definitely agree with that criticism. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of Israelis. Uh, uh, spending time in Israel, you notice that a lot of Israelis, Israeli Jews, they have almost, they can go almost their entire lives without realizing that there is a, there are Palestinians living in the West Bank uh, unless there's a, there's a war. So it's like kind of interesting how Israelis don't experience that and Americans on birthright. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a sign of our you know, political divided times that back when it was conceived in 1999, you could talk about a trip to Israel that aspired to be apolitical. And these days, you know, there's no such there's no such thing as apolitical of coming to Israel and being apolitical. And I guess if you, you know, recognize that reality, then uh, maybe you have to address it a little bit more in the context of the trips. Across the board, Eurovision, soccer, I mean, everything is has been is becoming politicized so it's uh right yeah um well allison thank you very much for for joining us this was fantastic and uh thanks and uh we hope to have you on the show uh, again okay it was a lot of fun thanks a lot if you enjoyed this podcast you can learn more about israel policy forum online at our website www.israelpolicyforum.org and on our social media outlets on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram. Thanks for joining us.